0: If you guys are new with us, my name is Chris, I'm a pastor here at Anthem Coeur d'Alene, and um, we are excited that you're here this morning. And we've been in this study for the last few months through the book of 1 Peter, and then we took a break last week um, while I tried my best to finish a half marathon. Uh, And this week we're gonna pick up in 2 Peter. And so if you guys would turn turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter one, Verse 1, uh, how many of you guys have been with us for the majority of First Peter? And how many of you felt like um, Peter was pretty harsh, and maybe like you've been laying on the ground for about two months, and now we're going to enter 2 Peter, and uh, he might kick you while you're down, um, and I'm sorry about that. But Peter is pretty clear, he's pretty upfront and uh, transparent with regards to what it looks like to pursue Jesus. And as we've been talking the last couple months, uh, Peter's writing to a church, churches, a group of people, that are amidst mass persecution for taking a stand for Jesus. And he's continuing to encourage them to keep on in their faith, to not lose hope, and to remember what the eternal goal is. And so we, we titled this series, Future Hope because Peter's been talking about what the future hope is, and that there is hope in the midst of the struggle and the issues and the trials and the persecution that we may face here on this earth. And so this morning, um, I want to dive into 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and I want to read through the first 15 verses. Uh, we're, we're basically going to spend the next... Five weeks in Second Peter, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, but this morning we'll be in verses 1 through 15, and I want to read through them really quick and make some quick points, and then try to get through 82 pages of notes, which we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, first Peter, or Second Peter, chapter one, let's pray, and then get started. Jesus, uh, we come before you this morning, knowing, Lord, that you are the only one with the power to give us insight. God, to reveal Yourself to us through Your Word, and so I just give You this time this morning. I pray in Your name, Lord, that You would speak to us, Lord, that You'd speak to me, that You'd speak to each individual in this room this morning. I pray, God, that this time would not be for naught, for nothing, but in fact, it would be a time that would equip us, it would challenge us, convict us, Um, Lord, that it would... um, Push us forward, God, and catapult us, Lord. Give us the motivation to get off the seats, off our hands as believers, and to engage the work in the world that you've called us to. And uh, Jesus, I just thank you for each person in this room. I know that there's uh, people that come from all different walks of life that are going through all different kinds of struggles in their life. But yet there's this uniting factor. that We come here this morning from all different backgrounds and walks with all different kind of troubles and experiences in our lives, and yet we find commonality in Jesus. And so I pray this morning that you do your work to unite your church and to speak to us as individuals um, and to speak to the collective. And I pray that Anthem Coeur d'Alene um, would be even saltier and brighter than we were prior to this gathering this morning after engaging your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, have a good Sunday, everybody. That was good, huh? Uh, Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Quick caveat, notice uh, Peter right off the bat here sort of gives his title and who he's been sent by. And I think it's important that we understand that Peter's doing this not because he's trying to flaunt his title and say, look at me, I'm an apostle sent by God to you. But he's saying, he's trying to uh, remind them, again, who he is, who sent him, uh, because there's validity behind that. He was sent by God, and that he's a servant of the Most High God. And the reason that's important is because Peter in the next chapter is gonna get into this whole section on false teachers and false prophets that have worked their way into the church that are preaching a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's important that they know they can trust Peter, that they're reminded of who he is and who it was that sent him. And notice, again, he says that he's a bond servant and apostle. And I think, uh, just quick caveat here, uh, that we have to be servants of God before we're sent by God. And so I think it's pretty neat that Peter lays it out even in this fashion that he says he was a bond servant, devoted to Jesus, and then he was an apostle, which apostle means sent one, and so then he was not only devoted to Jesus, but in his devotion to Jesus um, as a servant of the Most High God, he was sent by God for this work. So it says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Uh, Peter's going to use a couple different forms of this word knowledge in here. He's going to use this this word gnosis and then this word epignosis. And the difference between these two words is the word gnosis, knowledge, is that it's actually just brain. It's just mental. It's stuff that you just lodge in here. But this word epignosis is more than having the knowledge up here in your brain. It's actually putting it to to work, it's actually living by experience. Like this word epignosis, actually you have to walk with Jesus in order to have the knowledge as well. So it's locked in here and it moves us to action. So he uses this term epignosis here. He says, seeing that, uh, or grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. It's not just in the brain, but you're actually walking with him and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So by His power, by Jesus' power, through knowledge to gain understanding with regards to everything pertaining to life and godliness. Anybody in here need knowledge of God pertaining to everything in life and godliness? Anybody? Am I the only one? Uh, I think the world is in search of the everything pertaining to life Um, And we sort of write off the the godliness side. We don't want to look like Jesus. We just want um, all the answers. And he says, um, Jesus's power has granted to us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Uh, I'm going to come back to a lot of this later, um, but it, it, we were talking in sermon group this week about how often in church we refer to the promises of God. Anybody ever heard that preached from the stage or your friend says, well, God has granted you his promises, and how many of you sit there and go like, well, what are they? Like, you don't actually define them. You just use this word promises, but you don't actually tell me what those promises are, and Peter is gonna get into some of those, but he says, for by these he's granted you his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, that you may become partakers of God's nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So there's this escaping of the corruption of the world that's seeping in through surrender to Jesus. Then he says in verse 5, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, this word diligence again, In your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge. It's also interesting in the church because we like to talk a lot about Jesus. We like to talk a lot about his grace. We like to talk a lot about his love. Um, We don't like to talk about what it means to be diligent in our walk with Christ, which actually means there's things that we do out of obedience to God. This isn't just about receiving his love and his grace, it is, but his love and his grace actually empowers us to walk with him, to be like him, to make decisions with him. And so Peter's going to rail on this idea of diligence, that you have to be diligent, you have to be disciplined in your life to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, applying all diligence in your faith Supply moral excellence, that your faith, that your, that the moral excellence actually supplements your faith. That's really interesting. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self control, in your self control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like you will bear fruit. If you do these things, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You will never fall away. You will never turn your back on the Lord." For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth, which is present. So even though you know them, even though it's established in you, I'm going to continue to remind you of them, is what Peter's saying. Verse 13, he says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And I sort of want to start this morning at the end of this passage and then work back into some of the um, particulars that Peter maps out here because Peter at the end here is pretty specific, that he's doing this why? Why is he writing this? To stir something up in them by way of what? Reminder. To remind them of the things that they already know so that they don't forget those things. Um, I was thinking this week about reminders um, in my own life. I was thinking about um, particular items uh, nowadays that have become um, conveniences to us in our homes, um, that we actually lose focus of the fact that these things used to never exist and now they become like everyday uh, uh, machinery, equipment um, in our homes. And I wanted to ask you the question this morning, have you ever noticed that things that were once considered convenience are now, like, almost always considered necessity? And so, uh, like, start with various appliances in your kitchen. Uh, Start this morning, even, like, go back to your shower. It's pretty nice to turn a knob and get hot and cold water, isn't it? Anybody going to argue with me about that? it's a pretty sweet feature to have, to get hot and cold water. But actually, it wasn't that long ago that homes did not have running water in them. Uh, It it was actually in the 1800s, people were still fetching their water from a well or some sort of stream. And it wasn't until the 1800s that actually they started, um, they, they, they They developed the way to pump water, and the way they would do it is they would have like one pump for each neighborhood, and so you would go to the pump, and you would get access to the water, but it was a shared system. And then it wasn't until the 1900s that we actually started seeing running water become features in individuals' homes. And yet nowadays, it's become commonplace for us, hasn't it? Does anybody ever like think twice about that? Anybody ever take a shower like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, I, I turn this knob and water comes out like this, Jesus, thank you. you know, no, it's, it's something we take for granted. It's become a convenience for us. But go back 200 years, they'd be like, what in the world? Like that seems amazing. A, a handful of years ago, I was in Ethiopia with a group from our church. And we had this pastor that we took with us and and uh, for like three or four days of our trip, and we just wanted to bless the guy. Like we took him to our hotels, and we fed him, and he just got to hang with us. And these were not like the most amazing hotels in the world, but every hotel that we went to had running water. And I will never forget the look on the guy's face when he walked into a bathroom. He came from this rural village where they did not have running water. And he walked into the bathroom, and he turned it on, and he just sat there and looked at it. And he was just so elated. Like the best experience of our three days with this man was, was him being able to take showers and running water. <laughs> him be able to, being able to turn a knob and get wa- watch water come out. He was just so intrigued by this thought. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, like I use this system every single day. And, and yet these are the convenience things that over time we take for granted in our life. So think about some of the other gadgets in your kitchen. Toasters. Um, There was a day when toasters did not exist, folks. Uh, Blenders, juicers, food processors, electric knives, crock pots, instapots. Holler. Anybody use an instapot? Pretty amazing. There was a day and time when those did not exist, if you didn't know that. Those are fairly new. All those things have become these necessary conveniences for you and I. So how many of you can remember a day in, uh, or remember maybe the last time that you actually had to open a can by hand? Anybody? Pretty proud of you guys. Like North Idaho, we still shoot like 50%. You know, we're like, I still use the old school stuff. But these are all things that are these conveniences that we begin to take for granted. Did anybody here this morning uh, boil their coffee on the stove in order to make their coffee, or did you use a coffee pot, did anybody boil it this morning? You guys are hardcore, see (laughs) that, this just doesn't fly in North Idaho, they're like, yeah we all do that, I live in a tent. The the most of of the world does not boil their coffee, so just so you know that. Most of the United States does not boil their coffee. Uh, In fact, they make coffee pots now where you can program them so you can go to bed at night and it will have coffee made for you the next morning. Talk about a convenience, right? But from from the, the simple to the most complex, it seems as though we've actually grown so accustomed to all of these various convenience items in our life that they're considered necessary. They're not just convenience, they're, they're necessary. We have to have them. And, and I'll be the first to admit that it's really nice to drive my car to a store and have, be able to regulate the temperature in my car, right? That's an amazing feature, but these are things that we take for granted. And we live in a day and age where many people seem totally stranded if their car breaks down, right? They can't do anything. Computers are like essential for life. Does anybody ever watch somebody walk up to an ATM machine that doesn't work? Gosh, they get ticked off that they're not getting their money out of the computer. You know what I mean? Or um, walk up to a vending machine and people don't get what they want out of it and they start hitting it and shaking it. It's like, really? These things have become so normal to us, so normal to us. And why is it that it stirs up such frustration and even anger when some supposed convenience item fails us? And it's because the function of these broken machines have actually been taken for granted, so it's considered an essential to daily life. And when the machine breaks, we consider the importance of what it actually does for us. And that's often with frustration and anger because it will not fulfill its function at that particular moment. So um, related to this is the fact that we usually only appreciate these gadgets um, when they're new, right? And then they become kind of outdated. We become very used to them. Yet yesterday I was at a, a local lumber store, and um, I'm doing this project on my house, and I had to buy nails. And it was the funniest experience, actually, even in light of this message. It was hilarious. Uh, I go to the nail aisle. Anybody ever been to the nail aisle in Alumbria? There's like thousands of nails apparently. And I was told to get a very specific kind of nail and I walked to the aisle and and I, I told the, the person that was helping me, I need this specific nail. And they walked me to the nail, they're like, this is it. They're like, but, you know, um, if you want to do it right, people usually use this one. And they walk over and he grabs me this box of like primitive nails that require a hammer, you know? And I was like needing the ones for a gun and he hands me this box. And I was like, oh, actually I have a nail gun. And he's like, oh, okay. And I felt like the this arrogant dork, you know? Like, actually I don't use hammers anymore, you know? Like I, I use this thing that I pull a trigger and it like shoots a nail into the wall. And But the unfortunate thing about these these things that have become normal for us that were once conveniences is that it's often true of our faith in Jesus. It's true of our Christianity. We, We come to Jesus and everything's new. Everything is fresh. Everything's exciting. We understand clearly that Jesus, what Jesus has saved us from and we feel so honored, so blessed that Jesus would set us free, that he would save us from this. And we marvel at this like, new relationship with Jesus. Like, I love seeing somebody who just recently gave their life to Christ because all of this is like, whoa, this Bible. Like, they just want to devour the thing and they just want to talk about Jesus. They, they want to learn about prayer. They, like, they want to know what it means to share Jesus with others. There's this excitement in them. But over the years, that excitement begins to wane in us and we start to take for granted the very things that God gave us that should be the cornerstone of who who we are who our life is what our life is about and and we start to think that um, I don't need to read this thing and I don't need to pray, and and you know, church just isn't as exciting as it is, as it used to be, and you know, I need we, we sort of treat church like drugs where it's like I need the double fix the next time in order to get the fix that I got the first time, and so we're waiting for that fix, and if I don't get it here, then I'll go to this church and I'll get it here, or I need to listen to more podcasts, or I need to do and and, and we're trying to get this high. But we realize the further along we get in our walk with Jesus that the things that were once convenient, the things that were once astounded us, that once like blew our minds, have become normal everyday things. And we treat them as such and we sort of lock Jesus away. And as time goes on, like reading the Bible for us becomes easier. And you can even pronounce some of the names, and because you've heard the story before, and Things just become normal. Prayer is important. Uh, because you recognize that prayer changes things, you recognize that that the church only goes forward on its knees, that we need to seek Jesus in prayer, but it's hard to find time to pray because we're so busy and we get used to these church gatherings that we attend and there's this growing sense that we're just not getting fed by the way we did in the past, and so we're going to go find the place that's going to feed us so we can get the high that we once had again. And it just, somehow our faith begins to wane. And here's Peter, almost on his deathbed, giving his last remarks to a church that is facing intense persecution for taking a stand for his faith. And what's Peter thinking in delivering this message? He's thinking, I need to get the most important things to them. I need to remind them of the core, the essential things, and what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus. They need to be reminded, and again, he says, it's not even like you don't know these things already, you already know them, but I need to remind you of these things. And this morning, as we're reading through this, like my prayer for you guys was that maybe there would be a stirring up in us as we're reminded of some of these things that Peter lays out for the church that he's speaking to. Maybe they would be a really good reminder. Maybe a good like kick us while we're down moment. But maybe this morning it would be a really good opportunity for us to be stirred up again. Because some of us have not necessarily walked away from Jesus, but the things that once blew our mind most about the Lord have not become as essential and as important as they once were. Our Bibles are collecting dust on the shelf. Our prayer life doesn't even exist. Um, Forget evangelism and sharing Jesus with the world. Like, Um, there was a time in our life when we were so stirred up that we'd share him with anybody and 20 years later we find ourselves being afraid to tell anybody about him out of fear of what they would think of us. So Peter's reminding them and uh, some questions I had for you guys this morning maybe some of you, this description sort of fits your life in the present. Maybe you get it. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. And here's some questions for you. Do, do you still look forward to spending time alone with God in prayer and personally studying his word? Do you look forward to that? Do you still find great joy in getting together with God's people and sharing with one another what God's doing in your life? What I love most about this 10-minute little break we took this morning is hearing all of you talk with one another and laugh and and get to know each other because there's something about the community of faith that God is building on this earth. There's something about it. It's a force to be reckoned with. When Jesus says that that, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, um, he's building his church and what he's doing in us as individuals, he's actually doing amongst the collective and he's building something that the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against. He's doing something. Does your heart still beat a little faster from the excitement of being able to share the gospel of the good news with somebody else? Do you still find yourself becoming less joyful and more critical? Or do you find yourself becoming less joyful and more critical? And this is part of the problem that developed even in the, the, the church in Ephesus and why Jesus wrote to them in, in Revelation 2. And he said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, he writes, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, like they're doing all the right things, and you've, you have perseverance, and you've endured for my name's sake, and you haven't grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've lost your first love. And he says this, Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out from its place unless you repent. Yet yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise, the paradise of God. So the, the Ephesians had this correct doctrine. They had it all right. They were doing a lot of the right things, but their love for Jesus faded. It, it waned. They, they become so familiar with the routine of living a religious Christian life that their love for Christ completely diminished. I've been guilty of that at seasons in my own life. Like Some of you are struggling with that right now. What does it look like for Jesus to stir this back up in us? Because I'll tell you what, Like I, since we have made the decision with this church to focus our attention downtown. I can't help but just think of the 7,000 people south of I-90 even and go, do they know Jesus? Awesome that there's two or 300 of you here this morning, but there's 7,000 in this area. There was a day in time when I remember giving my life to Jesus at 17 um, Spending time in prayer gatherings with, with like other 17, 18, 19, 20 year- olds praying till midnight, like literally just waiting for Jesus to break through and revival in our city, we were crying out to God and wanting to see Him move, willing to sacrifice whatever we needed to in our own lives to make time for Him, time for one another, time to share the gospel. And somehow along the way. The things that once blew our mind that we were most passionate about become these things that we file away on the shelf, but yet we're still going through the motions. And so Jesus' challenge to this church in Ephesus is like, you had all the stuff right and you did all the right things, but you lost your first love. I think this is what Peter's reminding the church of in this passage. In Second Peter um, 1, 12 through 15, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Like, I'm going to pass away. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. He told me I'm... I'm almost there. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. So not only lock them in their head and not only walk them out, but also when things get rough, be able to continue to call them to mind, to remind yourself of these things. And so Peter again is writing this letter at the end of his life or near the end of his life and he says that The laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. It's interesting. After Jesus' resurrection, while he was meeting with the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus told Peter that Peter would not see death until he was old. Gave him kind of a glimpse of the fact that he was going to live longer. And here Peter was now old. And from Peter's comments, it's apparent that Jesus had made it clear to him that death would soon come. And so Peter is on the verge of the end of his life and being confronted with what are the most important things I need to leave behind for these people. I mean, this is a man that denied Jesus. This is a man that was like the, the, the worst of the worst at times and, and, and fell away and, and lied. And I, I mean, this is not the perfect disciple, but a man that at the end of his life realized the value in staying the course in continuing to have a stirred up love and affection for Jesus. And his lasting remarks with the church that he's talking to is this reminder of don't forget, don't forget his promises. Don't forget what he's done for you. I mean, in in some regards, when we look at the gospel and we talk about what Jesus Jesus did for us, what he's done in us and what he does through us, I mean, these are the things that he's reminding them of that what is it that God did for you? What is it that God did in you? And what is it that God's going to do through you, is wanting to do through you? That's the reminder for us this morning. So Peter reminds them of what they already knew, and he wants them to continue in the truths in which they were already established, and and his hope was that this letter to them would be this means to continually remind them or us to remain in those truths long after Peter was gone. So he says in, in uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, again, he emphasizes this point. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior by the apostles. And some, I think, might react to this and wonder why Peter would only remind them of what they already knew. It just seems way too simple. And I imagine that most of them were already trying to do the things they already knew and were struggling enough with just doing the things that they already knew. And then he's just going to remind them again of the things that they already know. But they probably wanted to hear Peter give them something they had not been told yet. Like, blow our minds again, Peter. Like, tell us something that's just gonna radically stir us up and get us going again like it was at first. And Peter goes, I'm just gonna remind you of the same things. The truths and the promises of God. And it seems as though Peter's adamant about the importance of going back to what they already knew. Verse 12, therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Verse 13, and I consider it right. Verse 15, and I will also be diligent. Peter's sort of always ready. He considers it the right thing to do. He's going to be diligent about this, and he's going to work hard at making sure that they remember these things. Why would he do this? because there's only one way to move people back into a strong relationship with the Lord and to motivate them again to serving the living God with a joyful heart. You have to actually go back to the foundations of your salvation. You have to go back to what it means to live the Christian life for Jesus. You have to return to the fundamentals, even though it may seem so fundamental. We have to go back to those things. And notice the therefore in verse 12. Like, what is it there, and what is its significance? He says, the, the, the therefore points us back to the reasons that Peter's so concerned about reminding them and us of what they, we, should already know. It points back to what he just said in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you and Peter wanted those who had received the same faith that he had received as he points out earlier on to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours he wanted to be sure um, that, that they knew that, that the faith that he's talking about is the same faith that, that, that he had received and that it's the same walk that he's been on the same journey that Peter's had to trudge out and he wants them to have the assurance that they're saved, that they're going to spend eternity with Jesus, and he reminds them of these things. So what specific things is Peter talking about? Um, Verse 3, he says, having the power to live life in a godly manner. Um, Verse 4, partaking of the divine nature, of God's nature. Verse 4, again, escaping the lusts of this world. Verses five through eight, living according to the fruit of the Spirit, which actually makes you useful in the Lord's service. Verse nine, not forgetting your purification from your former sins. Like, do not forget what God did in you. And again, Peter's not trying to bring up anything new. There's already enough revealed to live the way God wants us to live. And it's those truths that Peter wants to remind his readers about. There's a lot of Christian religions that try to accomplish this. They they, they claim to have this secret that makes it easier to live the Christian life. And and so, some do this by coming up with their own lists of do's and don'ts. and, And and. but any standard other than God's is just not true righteousness, and so a lot of these folks, like in the Christian world, end up either in legalism; they end up um, like licentious. They, they they depend on this particular list of standards, and they just get people to do all the right things. Others like strive to make it easier by claiming to continually be receiving some new revelation from God. Um, so that they know exactly what God wants for them. Um, Some say that this comes through a prophet, and they claim to be a prophet themselves, or a word of wisdom, or word of knowledge, which I'm not denying any of that, but there's many different forms of Christian religion out there that are trying to stir people up by trying to give them something new and pitch it differently. And Peter's just going back to the basics, the foundational elements. Do you remember what your salvation was founded on, who accomplished that salvation for you, it was Jesus. If you live in obedience to Christ, your life will bear fruit. And Peter lays out this list of eight things that, that we're going to read through here. He says, There's this list of eight things that Peter reminds them who have faith like his in these first 11 verses. He says, Peter's a slave and an apostle of Jesus, so he reminds them of his authenticity, that he's not some fly by night guy, but is first a slave to Jesus, second, he's an apostle or one sent by God. Um, he says this He says, faith is something received by the righteousness of Christ. Faith is a gift from God, church. It's a gift. He says, Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. That, that Jesus is not just a good person, Jesus is not just some prophet that walked this earth, though there's many religions that will ascribe to this, that Jesus existed, he was a good man, Jesus existed, he was a prophet, but Jesus was not the son of God. But Jesus, as we believe, as Peter points out, is actually God, and he's the savior by which we're saved, that nobody comes to God except through Jesus. He goes on to say Jesus is our Lord in the sense of he's our master, that there's nothing else that comes before him. It's not Jesus plus anything, it's only Jesus. Jesus is our king, king of kings, lord of lords. He goes on to say that God, by his divine, by his divine power, has already granted us everything we need to live the Christian life in godliness and this comes through a close intimate experiential knowledge of god walking with him and learning from him he says that god has given us his precious and magnificent promises by which we become like christ in character and that we escape the corruption that's in the world by its lust, and so I expanded on this list a little bit of these promises: that salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ; that there's security for the believer; that Jesus promised us His continued presence with us; that 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 we're being changed from corruptible to incorruptible. That, that there's a confidence in God that we have in all circumstances in our life, that there's peace through prayer in all circumstances in our life, that God's provision for, li- for our life's necessities as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first will always come, that he will always take care of us, that, that the way to overcome temptation that he's given us a way to overcome the temptations in our life, that our prayers are heard and answered if they're according to God's will, that Jesus will return, that Jesus will take us to heaven to live eternally with him where he's currently preparing a place for us. And then Peter goes on to say that we're to be diligent to add the marks of Christian maturity, faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He goes on to say, we can have assurance of salvation and be useful and fruitful for Jesus. And I, I really don't know like, where you guys come from and where you're at this morning. I, I personally, in the last couple of months, have been very challenged in my own faith because what I see is this once fireball kid who um, would not pull any punches to share Jesus with anybody that God led him to. And I watch as I get older and it seems as though I can justify or back myself out of those opportunities way easier than I used to be able to. It seems that as we get older um, and more mature, (laughs) and I'll use that phrase loosely, that we take less steps of faith and less risks for Jesus. It seems as we get older that we justify why we shouldn't be connected to a body of Christ because we don't need it. I just need my Christian friends, just a handful of them, and we can do church in our house. I 100% agree, but there's 200 people in this room, and I think God's called you all together for such a time as this because he knows you're more powerful together than you are individually. So as I wrap up, I guess the the one point I want to make to you guys this morning is this, that God's done his part, and now it's time for us to do ours, to sell out 100% to Jesus in all aspects of our life. That by his divine power, God has already granted us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, that there's nothing that you have to go search for and uncover, and you got to try to figure out, and you need to learn the Hebrew and the Greek, and you got to dissect words in order to really get to the truths. It's not like that. It's serve Jesus. Trust that his Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus to you, will reveal the truths of Scripture to you if you're willing to read it. Trust that he will grant you everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we have to pursue this knowledge and not just head knowledge, but we have to pursue knowledge that only comes by experience as you walk with him. The world is not looking for a bunch of Christians to tell them what to do or to map out the 10 fundamentals of Christianity. The, The world is waiting to watch a church That on one token says, this is what I believe about Jesus. And the other token says, this is what I'm willing to give up in order to pursue it at all costs. To live into this, to dive in 100%. And we have to be diligent to add to our faith these eight things that Peter talks about in verses 5 through 7. I want to encourage you guys this morning, if you'd stand with me, to not take for granted what God has done in your life. How many of you in this room remember the day that Jesus got a hold of your life? Keep your hands up. Look around this room. Don't forget his precious and magnificent promises. Don't neglect the power of God that's available to you to live in godliness. Don't allow yourself to become apathetic or even complacent. Don't Let the other things of life crowd out that which is most important. You have to be diligent to recall the truths of Scripture to mind and then live accordingly. And so I want to close in prayer this morning, and I really, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I am going to ask you to examine your heart and raise your heart. If Jesus is working in you this morning, and you feel the stirring, like I know what I once was where I once was and I know where I've gotten and I want to get back there and you're not going to get back there by just doing all the right things but you're going to get back there by remembering the basic truths of what Jesus did for you the same truths that unlocked your heart to begin with that that led you to a place of fully surrendering your life to him and some of you God's reminding you of that day right now Like it trips me out to think of the day that I gave my life to Jesus because it was very unexpected. I wasn't ready for it. And I remember weeping my eyes out and it just wasn't like me. (laughs) And some of you this morning, like God is wanting to take you back to that moment, not for the sake of starting all over again, but just reminding you, son, daughter, I will see this thing through, you will. You need to rely on him. Keep your focus on him, let's pray. Jesus, I pray for your church, God. I know that um, I'm merely a pastor here and you are the master shepherd. You are the king of kings and the lord of lords. You are, you are our savior. And uh, Jesus, I'm asking this morning, Uh, As you're stirring up our hearts, God, that this wouldn't be just a stirring and an experience we're having, but actually, Lord, this would be you taking us back in order to take us forward. And so I pray for each individual in this room, God, that you remind them of the truths of your word, who you are, what you did for us, what you did in us, what you're doing through us. And I pray, Jesus, that not one individual would leave this room this morning without confronting you face to face making the decision to chase after you. I pray for those that are being reminded this morning of the work that you once started in them and wondering how they got off track and got to where they're at. And I'm praying, Jesus, uh, you're not here to heap guilt and condemnation and shame on us. You're actually here this morning to remind us of your grace and love that started this whole thing. And so I'm praying for them, God, that they wouldn't find themselves basking in guilt and condemnation for having gone off course, but in fact, your grace and love will be pulling them back to center. Jesus, I'm praying this morning that you would ignite a fire in us as a church. Lord, there are people in our community that need you, and you've lit the candle within each one of us to go out into this community and shine that light to others, and I just pray that um, this group of people will be salty, salty, salty individuals people full of the light and the love of Jesus, people led by obedience into some of the craziest things in life in order to allow your grace and your love to abound and shine through us so that others would partake of it. Jesus, thanks for this morning and the breath that you've given us in our lungs, these eyes to see, these ears to hear. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of purifying us, Lord, washing our sins away as far as the east is from the west through your death and resurrection, Jesus. And I pray this morning that we would take heed of that and remember the great gift and the sacrifice that you made for us, for us to receive that gift in Jesus' name.